Well, good day, friends and listeners. Today we have a really wonderful opportunity to speak with Krista Castaneda, and uh, she has quite an extensive background in not only engineering, but also uh, in our legal system. And I'm going to let her tell you a bit more about herself. Good day. How are you doing today, Krista? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, so um, I am a, a degreed engineer um, and a lawyer and a practice uh, in the oil and gas industry, uh, mostly in commercial uh, disputes arising in the upstream sector for the last 30 plus years. Um, I um, have a lot of uh, background on on the things that I talk about um, relating to uh, the environment and to regulation, and now um, uh, the electric grid that failed in February of 2021. So happy to discuss any or all of those things. Oh, absolutely. Um, I actually, I kind of feel bad because that that's such a mild way of putting the amount of background <laughs> information that you have, or even what you do. <laughs> Apparently, for those listening, Krista is the go-to lawyer. She's not just any lawyer. She's the go-to <laughs> lawyer for some high-stakes litigation. And she actually had uh, a, she... It was a verdict in 2016 that actually gained national attention, didn't it? And you were inducted into uh, the elite trial lawyers of 2018 because of this really big case. Yeah, it was a big oil and gas dispute and one of the largest verdicts in the nation. And I was the the plaintiff attorney um, and the lead lawyer for a man known as T. Boone Pickens, who is since deceased, but used to be... um, one of the uh, most prominent uh, businessmen in America um, back in the 1980s through like the early 2010s. Yeah, that's I I'm I I've been reading I've been looking into a bit about you and I'm just I'm I'm very impressed. It seemed like quite an interesting case. It it was it was it was a fascinating case. Took a long time to try. Very complex, but. Uh, um, in the end, it was it was good to win it. How did you get into this specific kind of niche of the oil field and gas and uh, and law and, and well, yeah, yeah, great question. So, I came out of uh, engineering school in 1985, prepared to go to work as an engineer in um, oil and gas, and that was one of the historic downturns. Um, you know, we hit these cycles where. It's a boom-bust industry, and that was a bust, Um, and it remains so for about six or eight years afterwards. Um, So I actually went into uh, designing computer systems to run oil and gas um, production companies uh, and did that for three years, decided I still really liked um, the challenges that the industry face, uh, but really hated writing code. And it was COBOL code at the time, um, which it, some listeners may know what that means, but it, it, it's, it, it ran all the business systems and still does in some places, but it's a really, really old language. Anyway, went back to law school and uh, have kind of, you know, focused on um Technical litigation ever since, and uh, and with a specialty in oil and gas technical litigation. And so, does that keep you pretty busy then? Oh yeah, yeah, 
that plus my side pursuits of writing books and running for public office. I had seen that you had run for the Texas Railroad Commission here this last year. Um, I, I'd also looked into, by the way, you did a fantastic job with uh, the, the campaign ad that I saw on the website. I, I thought that was so well put together. Oh, well, thanks very much. Well, there was an, an important environmental issue to run on, which is uh, Railroad Commission is our oil and gas regulator in Texas, and the um, the 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 amount of waste of the natural gas that's produced in the form of flaring, which is just lighting it on fire when it comes up out of the well, um, is enough to power every home in Texas continuously if we would only turn that natural gas into electricity. And so I ran really hard on that because it's been against the law for over a hundred years, but yet um, the railroad commission just allows operators to obtain permits to go ahead and burn that natural gas, which would have been enormously useful during the great freeze of last month. So how, how could they utilize that gas in, in a, a manner that would create electricity rather than burning it off? And why would that have not been done already, I guess? Yeah, great question. Um, the, the answer, uh, long and short of it is, it's economics. Um, you know, if it's cheaper for the operators to light it on fire, the Railroad Commission lets them do that, even though it's terrible from an environmental perspective and just a waste perspective. And it's against everything that, you know, our state resources laws are founded on, which is to prevent that waste. But the what they could do, um, because the technology has been out there for, you know, a long time, is use um, generators, natural gas-driven generators, to generate their own electricity um, and actually form microgrids that would not only supply their own electric needs, uh, which would keep their equipment running in these cold snaps like last month, um, but also they'd have excess electricity to sell into the grid, uh, and all of that electricity could actually be used to power all of the homes in Texas. Wow. How how easy of a transition do you think that it would be to to create some kind of a grid like this? Well, I don't think it's that hard. I think it just requires political will. And there are a few mm. challenges, like having enough gas in the right places to uh, drive the the generators. But it's certainly it's certainly something that the Railroad Commission and the Texas Legislature could see to easily. Well, I wonder if there will be anything that comes of it uh, since you brought that issue to everyone's attention this last year. Have you heard any any movement in that direction since then, I guess? Well, I do think that there is a hard assessment going on based on the electric grid failure and the role of um, natural gas. Um, and let me just back up a minute. The reason the grid went down, according to this testimony that was provided to the Texas legislature, is that the power generators who rely on electricity could not get enough natural gas at the right pressures to drive their plants and generate the electricity. And the natural gas producers are saying that they couldn't produce enough natural gas and get it into the pipeline because their equipment runs on electricity. So when the electricity went down, the natural gas supply went down. And when the natural gas supply went down, the electricity went down. So they were oh, no. mutually dependent on each other. So um, there, there, there is legislation and legislative efforts going on to see how we can fix that whole system. Uh, so I do think there's going to be something to come out of it. I'm not entirely sure how... Um, global a fix it will be, but I'm sure some things will come out of it.
So I guess out of curiosity, do you think that they're going to be taking a look at it, uh, specifically oil and gas, and, uh, and or do you think that it's going to be more of an integration with the rest of the different types of energy gener- generators, like wind turbines, for example, or solar powers? Because I, I, I had heard some speculation that they had something to do with that freeze-off, but largely it kind of did get placed at the feet of oil and gas. It did. Um, there there. There were early reports that wind turbines had frozen and that they were contributing to the lack of electrical uh, capacity. But those, I think, reports have largely been debunked. The wind and solar were only expected to contribute 5%, I believe, to the capacity in the winter months, and they con- ended up contributing 6 or 7%. Meanwhile, the big hole in our capacity uh, and our electrical, um, you know, the ability to provide electricity was because of these natural gas plants falling offline. Hmm. What about uh, the nuclear energy? I'd seen one article mention something about nuclear uh, energy failure, but uh, f- again, uh, it was largely placed at oil and gas. So I wonder if, what role do you think that played? So um, nuclear uh, had it, it did not it did not fail to perform at the same level that um, natural gas generated. Electric okay. did, but I think one one we only have two plants, and I think one plant did go offline for a period of time. I'm not entirely sure how much it contributed or why it went offline. Hmm. It's it, just kind of an interesting thing to look at, I guess. Um, makes me wonder how much of a holistic approach will be taken when uh, trying to prepare so that this something like this doesn't happen again, I guess. It's yeah. curious. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a great question. I don't know what the political will is to overhaul, you know, all of our agency overstructure uh, because that's what's actually going to be required. Okay. Well, okay. So aside from uh, the flaring issues, what, what was something else that you had seen or did you see anything else that was kind of a big issue when it came to uh, what is becoming known as the climate crisis, I guess? Yeah. So during my campaign, another issue that I really highlighted was the the intentional release of methane, not flaring it, not lighting on fire, but just simply what they call venting it to the atmosphere, which is actually even worse than lighting it on fire. At least you're consuming the methane, uh, which is, you know, many, many times, you know, 25 to 40 times 25 to 80 times more potent as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. Um, so it's, it's, it's better to burn it uh, than it is to release it in its unaltered form into the atmosphere. And it's going on all the time. In fact, unfortunately, when you highlight the fact that people are flaring, then they tend to just put out the fire and still vent the gas um, which is illegal as well. Um, there is no excuse for venting, um, either intentionally or by leaks, yet it's going on all the time. Now, out of curiosity, <clears throat> excuse me, with it going on all the time, should someone be caught venting or flaring without a permit? And I'm assuming that venting does not have any kind of permit re- you know, available to allow that. Am I correct? That is, that is correct. So should someone get caught venting or flaring, what kind of uh, fines or penalties would they be looking at facing? 
Well, that's an excellent question. And I think the answer for the environmental community is generally way too low. And it depends on, um, I mean, there, there just, there, there really aren't any meaningful penalties for, um, for being caught. And furthermore, there's not enough money put into staff and measures to actually enforce this. Some of which could be done, you know, by remote sensors. Um, so, uh, and they, they tend to be prosecuted as, you know, administrative violations rather than health and safety violations. So the fines per day are even lower, um, when they stick, um, the com- railroad commissioners themselves have had a pattern of overturning, uh, what the enforcement staff recommends. Um, so it's, it's not a good situation and there's no meaningful enforcement. Oh, well, yeah, that, well, that sounds rather precarious, I suppose, and uh, kind of makes you wonder what may be coming, I suppose, in the near future, or if anything will be coming since you are not holding that position. Uh, what, what would have been the first thing that you would have done had you been elected to the commission? I would have taken uh, these flaring exception permits off consent agenda. Um, And just not to get too deep in the weeds, but there are three commissioners and all of the exception permits that are recommended by the administrative staff go through on consent agenda. And that means that if all three uh, commissioners say yes, then there isn't actually a hearing held on it. I would have pulled um, at least some of the bigger permits exception permits from the consent agenda and had a public hearing on it. Interesting. Well, I guess there's a whole lot of changes all over the place. It'll be interesting to see if and where any of this, you know, goes, if anyone's listening to your ideas and and might, you know, push that into being, I suppose, since these are elected positions. um, I, I guess that would be one way of doing it. What is there something that you're doing? Is there any way that you're looking to try and create change from your position right now? Yes. So I've been doing a lot of advocacy work. I've been doing a lot of TV and radio and podcasts and written opinions on, um, in particular, the grid failure and how our policies contributed to the lack of, you know, energy reliability here in Texas. So I've been doing a lot of speaking on that just to bring attention to the fact that our agencies and their routine failures to enforce our laws actually did play a role in bringing the grid down. Well, and I I, I remember earlier you said that you are writing books as well. Well, I have written a book. It's called The Last Trial of T. Boone Pickens, and it's about that trial um, that you discussed earlier. And uh, I've also done some podcasts uh, on on that. So um, if people are interested in that, it's called The Last Trial of T. Boone Pickens. And it's it's a. I, I, I hope it's appealing to people, not just because, you know, it's the story of a trial, but also because it's the story of, um, you know, they're teaching you women lawyers uh, and particularly in, in positions like I have been, um, you know, blessed to, to have these opportunities. And so it's a story of a woman, you know, fighting oil companies and winning. Well, and in honor of Women's History Month, that's kind of like a like a like a book club recommendation right there. Go well, check it so. out. The real story. So. <laughs> <laughs> the real story of a successful woman on her way to make things right. Yeah, that's no, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Um, I guess I keep having I'm not sure entirely how to uh, phrase the question. And it's kind of uh, a 
slightly off from what we were talking about, but I guess from an engineering perspective, I remember a commissioner, excuse me, Chairman Craddock mentioning uh, programs looking into the carbon sequestration and and whatnot, and and trying to utilize carbon capturing methods down there. Do you see anything in Texas along those lines happening? Do you think maybe uh, that might contribute to a part of the solution, I guess, from an engineering standpoint? Yeah, so um, I, I, I do think that there is movement afoot to do some things that are more environmentally sensitive, but I don't think it's being um, driven by the initiatives of our elected officials. I think it's because industry knows that they have got to do something different. You know, we, you, you, your, your listeners have probably heard about, you know, the calls by investors to um, have a, have a better, um, you know, they call it, uh, you know, global safety and environmental initiative, GSE kind of, um, or greenhouse gas and safety initiatives. Depends on how 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 the particular entity is defining their program, but they want responsible investment into companies that limit their carbon footprint. So I think these these companies are really driving things forward more than the regulator. And that has actually uh, come up in conversation quite a bit lately is that the push from not only the public, but also from investors into having more accountability when it comes to uh, environmentally responsible practices. Right. Yes. um, Where do you think that that, I guess, is going to take things in the near future? Do you see anything coming of that anytime soon? I know that, uh, like I said, it's been talked about quite a bit. Well, I think I think you're already seeing the 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 some of the big companies take a lead on this and talk about the fact that they're taking a lead on it. And and in fact, I think they're starting to, you know, transition to energy companies, not necessarily oil and gas companies, right? Because they see our energy supply coming from, you know, different sources in the future than the current mix we have. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm very curious to see where all of this is is going to end up. There's so much going on right now. I actually right before uh, you had called, I was just looking over another article talking about the 21 states that are now involved in that litigation uh, about the Keystone XL pipeline. So it kind of seems like the entire industry is just in it's in, in, in a change movement right now. I don't, I'm not sure what word I'm looking for, but a transition, such yeah, an, an interesting and, transition. And infl- I think it is an inflection point. I mean, I think it's been going on for a while. I think it will continue to go on. Um, you know, I, uh, the, when it comes to the Keystone XL pipeline, I think that the um, motives of the AGs who are suing over it are mainly political and not necessarily uh, problem solving. Um but uh, and, and I don't know that honestly in Texas in particular there was a great hue and cry for the product that would be delivered by that pipeline because we have plenty of product to be um, delivered here in Texas. So um, it's a, it, it is interesting. Um, it is interesting to see where people are spending their efforts though. It yeah, it certainly is. Well, and I guess you might have kind of a unique perspective on how how people are feeling just because of getting to talk with your clientele, for example. Are there any concerns that you see that have been arising more so lately? Anything that people are kind of wary about in the future, near future, I guess. You know, most of what I spend my time litigating over is um, accounting for what's happened in the past. Right, Um, I, I deal 
solely on the commercial side of things. And so I'm, I'm representing royalty owners against operators or I'm wor- representing working interest owners against each other or, you know, in the past I've spent a, a, a quite a bit of time representing operators directly. Um, so most of it is backward looking. Um, I, w- I would say this, I am seeing increasingly um, that uh, – People are litigating over the issue of accounting for this flared gas. Um, so I do think that that's going to continue to have some economic pressures. And then I'm just also, though, observing that um, there is, uh, you know, the, the investments have really fallen off in the industry, which plays itself out a lot in what I do because we value things in terms of future income streams, even though it's based on, you know, past past actions, you try to figure out, okay, well, if they drilled that well or not drilled that well, you know, what's the net future impact? And and those calculuses are changing too. Yeah, that's, there's a lot of analysis, it's, it seems like that would be involved in, in, uh, in looking over that part of the industry. <laughs> so many moving pieces. Absolutely. Yeah, I- so I had, I also had a thought, I feel kind of maybe like I'm, I'm kind of directing this conversation. I was wondering if, is there something that you think that would be noteworthy to, to discuss something that you would like to, to talk about a little bit? Well, this, I mean, I believe in the power of the people who work in this industry to change and, you know, have and develop ingenious solutions for what faces us. I mean, when, when you look at, we've only had oil for 150 years, right? I mean, it hasn't always been with us and it has changed really dramatically over the course of those 150 years and, and, and gas the same way, you know, I mean, we don't do things the way we did even five years ago. Um, So, Things are constantly evolving, and I, I believe in the power of change and in the power of the people in the industry to find creative solutions to the problems that face us, including the problem of, of producing you know, oil and gas responsibly and limiting carbon footprint. And I also believe in the power of the industry to adapt to new forms of energy. I think... Um, I think I'd like to encourage your audience to not get stuck in the past and not believe that's the only way to go about it. And and unfortunately, there is a segment of the industry that does want to remain in the past and in the old ways of doing things and is slow to change. Um, but that's not the entirety of the industry. And I just want to encourage people to to do what they know how to do, which is is provide innovative solutions that can get us to a better place. Yeah, I, I, that's, uh, that does seem to be the, the way of things. I, I have heard, uh, leanings toward that direction more and more, especially with the younger demographic of, uh, individuals working within the oil and gas industry that kind of seem to be leaning more toward the more green solutions. So I, I would imagine there will be a, a bit of pushback, but it seems as though the, the industry is already kind of transitioning. Out of curiosity, um, and I don't know if you would if you would have any insight or if you would know anything about this, but out of curiosity, should we pull back from the oil and gas industry as much? And um, how do you think that would affect the environment on an internal level? Um, kind of a random question. I apologize, but I mean, I, as far I, as like pressure buildup, even I, I think I think I know. Um, I think I, I. I mean, I. I don't. I, I'm, I'm not going to speak so much to 
operating characteristics of you know uh, reservoir depletion and all of that if we're if we're not producing as much because I think that's going to be dependent on where you are um, and what you're dealing with. But I I will speak to this. I do think that that to the extent we transition away from oil and gas into a different mix of energy, um, that it needs to be thoughtful, um, including one of my big concerns even during the campaign was the uh, abandoned infrastructure. We've got to figure out what to do about, you know, infrastructure that's, you know, multiple times more likely to leak product if it's not tended to and who's going to pay for the costs of tending to that infrastructure because we have not provided for that in the past. So I think that we've got to have a thoughtful transition and we've got to be thinking about what's next, you know, um, that it's just, somebody's got to be doing that. And right now I'm not seeing a holistic approach to dealing with those issues. Hmm. Okay. I I appreciate you uh, obliging my question. That was kind of out of left field, I think, but, um, but no, yeah, I, I agree. It'd be, it's kind of interesting to, to consider all of the issues that may not be taken into consideration as we're trying to move toward a positive uh, solution to things. Um, it kind of goes back into something like a like a self-fulfilling prophecy almost, you know, yeah. working so hard so that something doesn't happen and end up creating a bigger problem. It's kind of interesting. And I don't know nearly enough uh, to, to even speculate on on theories. So thank you well, for sharing. <laughs> I'm happy to I'm happy to, to provide what information and insight I can. I don't claim to be an expert on, on really any of these things, but I'm somebody who's spent a long time thinking about a lot of these things and I have some background to be able to hopefully give a, a, a relatively informed opinion. Right. Well, and I appreciate the insight. I, f- I find it to be absolutely intriguing. So much knowledge. I'll be excited to see if any of the conversations that you started on your campaign trail and then since then, even with all of the podcasts and, and, and writings that you've been doing, it'll, I'll be curious to see where that goes. Well, thank you. I, it's it's always interesting and there's always new questions. So uh, um, I'm happy to try to, again, speak up on what I know. Well, wonderful. Thank you for taking the time to speak up with me today. Uh, if any, In the future, if you have any big updates or anything that you would like to share, absolutely, please feel free to reach out so that we can get you back on to talk about it. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. All right, my friends, that was Krista Castaneda, and she is a brilliant mind out of Texas, the founding owner of uh, Castaneda Law Firm. She ran for the Texas Railroad Commission this last year. She's got an engineering background as well so much. I hope that you guys were able to uh, enjoy that entire interview. And if you did find the content intriguing, interesting or riveting in any way, make sure to go and check out the rest of what The Crude Life has to offer.